We're reading from Hebrews chapter 13, uh, and we'll be reading from verse 4 through to verse 6. Uh, you can find that on page 1212 uh, of the Church Bibles. That's 1T, 1T. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 13, and starting at verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Thank you, Phil. My name is Steve. It's very good to be with you all here tonight. Um, Normally, my wife and I and and our daughter, we attend the morning service. But here, uh, Steve Midgley sent me an email, said, you know, could you come uh, talk to the evening service about sex and money? I was like, absolutely. You know, I'd love to make some more friends. Um, So, uh, yes, great to see you. Um, Well, the question that I've been thinking about as I've read these verses is that prayer at the end. Did you, did you notice that prayer? It's a prayer from, from one of the Psalms, from Psalm 118. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Is that, is that how I prayed this summer? <laughs> no, if I'm honest. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I have. But, but not always. So I've been, reading, I've been reading this verse and I've been wondering, how can I pray this way? One scholar, Raymond, Raymond Brown, uh, he, he's a scholar who wrote a book about, uh, about this book of the Hebrews. And he says that uh, the audience is a group of first century Christians who were in danger of giving up. In danger of giving up. And the problems they faced, I'm, I'm not talking about the normal problems of life, you know, it was hot this week, okay? I had some sunflowers in my backyard, they basically melted, um, it's very hot. Trains, trains were delayed, you know, chaos, it was chaos ensued. Uh, no, the, the writer of Hebrews, he's responding to profound physical and spiritual hardship. Basil preached last week on how these Christians are being put in jail, they're being persecuted, mocked attacked for their faith, it's still relevant today. The charity Open Doors, which investigates religious persecution, they estimate that this year, 245 million Christians will face extreme to high levels of persecution around the world. Just in Nigeria last year, this is just for Nigeria, they reported that 3,731 Christians were killed for their faith. And in our lives, we deal with hardship as well. I mean, there's, there's many different kinds of prisons, aren't there? We're trapped by, by people or circumstances because of our faith. We deal with the same question. How do we endure? I mean, why not give up? So that's the question the writer of Hebrews is addressing. How do we have a faith that endures how do we pray with, with all the difficulty we face? How do we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 
Well, let's, let's think about three answers in our text tonight. We can pray this way if we remember our audience, if we remember what's been accomplished, and if we are aware of what will happen. Remember our audience, what has been accomplished, and if we are aware of what will happen. Well, first, the writer says, remember your audience. Consider who will judge your behavior in the end. It changes our perspective. I mean, look look, look down at verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So who will judge? God. God will judge. It's his standard. Whoever you judge is, that's the viewpoint you take. We, we have to take God's perspective on sex. Now, God's perspective is that marriage must be pure. The word, the word here, it means unstained, chaste, sincere, unimpaired. How could we describe that? A marriage that's sincere. A marriage without deception. Where both husband and wife know what's going on. When I sign a letter, sincerely, I'm saying I mean it. I, I really mean what I've just said. Sincerely. And then I sign my name. It's the kind of marriage God requires. Marriages that are sincere. Marriages that are pure. So God expects purity. He also expects it from all of us. All should honor marriage. He will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Maybe you read that and say, well, (laughs) you don't know my spouse. (laughs) Or you're single and you think, sexual immorality? No sex outside marriage? I mean, the word word that's used there is pornos. It's the word we use to say pornography. (sighs) You don't know my situation. You don't know the years I've been dealing with this. And, (laughs) you know, what's interesting is the minute we respond that way, you see what we're doing, we're... We're making ourselves the judge of the situation. We're saying we know the situation best. And the writer is saying, remember, you're not the judge. Otherwise, you give up. Your faith will not endure. I mean, we can't please everyone. And pleasing one judge means others won't be happy. If I'm struggling for sexual purity, I mean... (laughs) Have you noticed the culture? Uh, people are going to think I'm strange. I'm weak. And people think that anyway because I look like I'm 17. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about. People think sexual purity, respecting marriage, you must be repressed. But they're not my audience. When I hear that, I have to remind myself, I'm not trying to please them. God will judge. I remember the film A Star is Born. I haven't seen I haven't seen the new one. Lady Gaga. I'm not I don't have anything against her. I just I haven't seen the new the new version. I've seen the one with Chris Christopherson and uh, Barbara Streisand. It's good. I thought it was good. Um, I was skeptical, but I, I was good. They're they're singers, they're mu- musicians, performers. And what means the most to them is the audience. They long for that approval. And the moment, the most powerful moment in the film is at the end when Streisand is on stage and she starts to sing Christofferson's song. She's been through a lot. And the audience roars. I mean, to hear that sound, suddenly all the suffering, all the effort, everything she's given up, it's all worth it. 
And the writer here, he's saying, you're right. I, I don't know your situation. <laughs> I actually don't. I, I don't know. I don't know what you're dealing with in your relationships. The difficulties are enormous, but I know what your God is like. He's a holy God. He requires purity. And he is a God who will judge. He is your audience. It's his standard that we must meet. But now, maybe you're thinking, sure, uh, okay, my my sexuality is a rock star uh, on stage singing, God is my audience. He's not cheering. He's not pleased. It's interesting the way the writer continues. He reminds us that God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. He goes from there to quoting God's promise in verse 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. How, How does he do that? I mean, it's a promise that God originally makes to Joshua in the Old Testament. How does it apply to us? I mean, it's even more surprising if we think about it because the writer says, God's gonna judge you. The standard is purity. Oh, uh, and by the way, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I mean, how does, how does all this fit together? Well, that's our next point. Our faith is, is if, if we want our faith to endure, we have to remember what has been accomplished. Well, turn, turn with me to Hebrews, the very beginning of the book, Hebrews chapter one, verse one. I mean, this is great the way this letter's put together. Normally, the letters, you have to dig through them for what the main point is. There's all these kind of, hey, how you doing, introductory verses. But this one, he just starts right, 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 from, the, right from the very first verse. The beginning of verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the adultery, the sexual sexual immorality of any kind, the, the lack of contentment, the love of money, Christ deals with us. He purifies us of these sins. I mean, how, how, how does this happen? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 7, it says later, he says, a high priest, it says, referring to Jesus Christ, he was a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And what, what happens? What happens to this, this holy, innocent, unstained man? He's arrested. Whipped spit on, crucified. Christ was left alone on the cross so that God can say to us, never will I leave you. Christ was forsaken so that God can say to us, never will I forsake you. That's been accomplished. It's done. I mean, becoming a Christian means your sins are already purified. That's how we pray with confidence. If we're dealing with life, with temptation, with relationships in our hearts, and we're thinking, I've got to be perfect to keep my faith, we're going to give up. It's about purity in marriage because 
Christ's sacrifice made us pure. It's not about earning anything. It's about our lives reflecting who we truly are. I think of that, that hymn, my hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Being content, there's, there's different ways we try to do that. One, one way is to earn more, to accumulate more, to work harder. But the problem is there's never enough. Or maybe we try, we try stoicism. We wrestle with our emotions to, to see things clearly, to rationalize. But the problem there is it's exhausting. And there's so much I don't know. I'm a terrible judge. And here in Christianity, the writer is saying that being content, it, it comes from seeing your desires in relation to what Christ has accomplished for you. That's the application. It's thinking, thinking about where your heart is restless with money or relationships or sexual desire and remembering God's promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It doesn't make desire go away, but it does change the way we value things and the way we value ourselves. So I remind myself that God is my audience. I remember what he's accomplished on my behalf. In a way, we've just, we've just prayed the first part of the prayer. The Lord, my audience, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I know he's my helper. I won't be afraid because, he's what he, because of what he's accomplished for me. But we must keep going. It's not the whole prayer. If we, if we stop there, we don't see the whole picture. I think, I think of something Nietzsche said in the, in the 19th century. Why atheism today? Does this sound like a relevant question? Why, why atheism today? The Father and God has been thoroughly refuted. Ditto, the judge, the rewarder. Also, his free will. He does not hear. And if he heard, he still would not know how to help. Worst of all, he... He seems incapable of clear communication. And you know it happens in life. It happens. I mean, there's times when I think, God, can you hear? <laughs> can you hear what I'm saying? Can you help? Why do we pray like that? It, it's because that's what life is like. It's there in that last line. What can mere mortals do to me? That question I wonder how we read that question. If we read it thinking we're invincible, our faith will not endure. We'll give up. Now we have to read it like the original readers of this letter. They, they knew the answer. They were aware of what happens in life. What can mortals do to you? How long do we have? <laughs> Imprison you, torture you, kill you could tease you, shame you, fire you, not hire you, not publish you, not read you. They can write you off, dismiss you. What does he know? Christian. Actually, the word nowadays is probably evangelical. He's an evangelical. I mean, maybe, maybe that's why I, read, I like the prayer book. It scrambles enemy radar. Actually, no, I, I like the prayer book because it's, it's very good. Uh, I'm joking, but I mean, it's, it's, it's true, isn't it? We have to be aware of what will happen. 
We must be aware that persecution will come. But if that's all we see, I mean, where's the hope? We must also be aware of the resurrection. Sometimes I think of one, but not the other. And the difficulty in life, in this life, it, it, it comes when I forget about the next. That's why Nietzsche was wrong. He's, he's a brilliant philosopher, but he only believed in this life. We have to be aware of both, of, of the suffering now and the sweetness of the life to come. One of the books on prayer I like very much is what uh, Vicky mentioned earlier, uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's an excellent book. And uh, he makes the same point in the following way. Here's a, here's a quote from the book. He says, While Jesus is hanging on the cross, the religious leaders cynically mock him for his childlike trust. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. In effect, they're saying, look what happens when you act like a child and trust your father. He abandons you. They accuse Jesus of naivety, of acting foolishly because he believes in God's goodness. Jesus does not answer his mockers because his ear is turned to his father. Like a wise serpent, he says nothing. Like a harmless dove, he does nothing. Even as his father turns his back on him, Jesus trusts. Faced with the storm of life, he tightens his grip on his father. And Jesus' childlike faith delighted his father. And on Easter morning, his father acted on Jesus' dead body, bringing him to life. He trusted in God. God delivered him. So the point here is that in the Christian life, we must be aware of both the cross and the resurrection. We have to see both. They go together. You can't have one without the other. Well, let's take a moment now, a moment uh, to remember the audience that matters most, our creator, God, to remember what he's accomplished for us in the death and resurrection of his son, and to be aware of life as it is now and the life to come. A moment of silence now. My helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Amen.